Coming up in this episode of Finding Common Ground. It gets everybody jazzed up. It's kind of like sexuality, the church, politics, and who has the best barbecue in the South. You start mixing that kind of stuff up, and it gets a little crazy. People get crazy. So I don't know. So if you ever look at this this show and you see me with some lipstick on and some makeup, Bill, I didn't do it. They held me down and they did it. I think that what we can do is uh, we'll destigmatize makeup for you when we get to some of the questions about masculinity and sexual identity especially. Being a black pastor that's bisexual, uh, that's a mouthful. You don't make it to certain levels unless you are palatable in some ways to white sensibilities in these United States of America, particularly in the South. There are two sides to every coin. How do we deal with racial issues when they affect relationships? Finding common ground on all those issues that we come against. There's black and there's white. And I think as Christians, we have to learn how to get together because we're not in heaven. I've met more interesting people just by God just bringing them in. Republicans and Democrats. But a lot of times when it comes to race and it comes to culture and it comes to perception, even as Christians, we don't always understand. We look at it through our lenses. There's Bill. I grew up in a suburb of Cleveland called Parma. Uh, Any the, black people in Parma? There was not one. Not one black person, not Bill? One. Not on, one. Come on, Bill, you got to have one. A nope. token black person? A token and there's Odell. I grew up in Charleston, South Carolina. Public housing, single mom, divorced single mom with four kids. And I came up through segregation and all that kind of stuff. If a black person drove through the town, the police would stop and escort them out. Bill and Odell are finding common ground. A part of what we have to do is listen to each other, find the common ground, and question, not questioning you like you're on a witness stand, but questioning you for a better understanding. Father God, we come to you this morning in the precious name of Jesus Christ, just saying thank you for all your grace and mercy. Thank you for how you are just working things out for so many people, God. God, as we continue to move this country back in the right direction, we just want to continue to ask the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us. You've done it before. You've always done it. And we ask you to do it again. So God, let good, strong Christian men and women stand up for you so we can understand what we say about in God we trust. So God, we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' precious name, we pray and believe. Amen. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, just uh, thank you for some rest this weekend. I was able to just chill on Sunday with my wife. And uh, as I get ready for a busy week, I'm heading to uh, travel to Knoxville and Cincinnati, Ohio. I ask for safety as I travel there. And Lord, uh, uh, lift up my brother, Odell, and his wife and family, and our guest, James, uh, as he comes on and shares his story. Amen. And gracious and eternal God, we are ever so thankful for the ways in which you shower us abundantly with grace, mercy, and compassion. God, I thank you for the work that Odell and Bill are doing to build bridges. I thank you, God, because we are in a time in our society with so much division and strife, with so much hurt. But as we're reminded in today's lectionary passage from the Psalms, you say to us that they who sow in tears shall reap in joy. So God, I pray that as a product of your grace and mercy and us being willing participants in this conversation, that others shall be able to reap in joy through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Amen.
Bill, how are you doing today, my friend? I'm doing good. Had a busy morning already. I've been to the airport to rent a car. Uh, drove, it's what, 10 o'clock already? I drove, did that in the morning. Then I drove probably 30 miles and picked up four yards of mulch. Brought that back. But I didn't spread it. All right. <laughs> I just brought it back. And then uh, was able to come in here and uh, to the podcast studio and get everything set up so we can have this podcast. So busy morning, got a busy day. Uh, we got another podcast this afternoon uh, and uh, we've got a bunch of Zoom meetings. So uh, how's your day looking? You know, Bill, I'm old, Bill. I stayed up <laughs> late last night trying to look at the uh, Swing State, the TV show at 11 you stay up till, You must have stayed up till nine o'clock then. Oh, man, no, I stayed up till 11 and looked at 11. it. And it's Holy one cow. Yes. Yeah, so it was interesting. One of the things we talked about last night is one of the new bills on the Marriage Act since um, Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas in his dissent argument on Roe v. Wade talked about outlawing um, same-sex marriages, outlawing uh, contraceptions, and outlawing what he called gay sex. And I was arguing against those points. So it was a good thing. Um, it's always interesting looking at yourself on TV because uh, you always go to what's wrong. So, Bill, my bald head is shining too much on TV, and I am refusing to put on, they call it powder. I call it makeup. So I don't know, Bill, the good-looking black guy does just don't want to put on makeup yet. So that's kind of what we're doing. So I don't know. So if you ever look at this, this show and you see me with some lipstick on and some makeup, Bill, I didn't do it. They held me down, and they did it. Really? Hey, well, oh, no, I think I, – I, I think that what we can do is uh, we'll destigmatize makeup for you when we get to some of the questions about masculinity and sexual identity, especially. Okay. Well, well, James, my buddy. So you just, you jumped in. So Bill, we're going to go ahead and we're going to talk about destigmatizing makeup for the good looking black guy. When we talk about masculinity and sexual identity and ladies and gentlemen, that's our good friend, the smartest guy I know, James Burroughs, and James is going to come in and talk, but I'm going to talk a little bit about James first. James is a gentleman I met and just so impressed with him. You know, he's a scientist. We don't see a lot of black scientists, not trying to be stereotypical, but we usually don't. James is a licensed pastor. Uh, James is a true man of God. Uh, James talks about sexuality. He talks about it from a black man's perspective and a man's perspective, but also James is just one of these geniuses. So, Bill, do we ever get a chance to be in the presence of a genius on the show, Bill? No, I, I think other than you, you uh, we haven't had one. <laughs> oh, no, you're, you're, you're a genius. And if you could see me right now, you'd know I'm blushing. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, let me, let me uh, explain James to our audience. Um, if you look at Frederick Douglass, Frederick Douglass with the big old afro and everything. James looks like Fred Frederick Douglass, but his afro is a little larger than Frederick Douglass's afro. But he is just as powerful when he speaks, just like Frederick Douglass was. And he is just, just a, a good man. James, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. And, you know, those are, those are big shoes to fill. Uh, and, you know, I can see a lot of different conversations from the conversation about good hair versus bad hair and Afro and all of that, what that means. I'd say that my hair is a bit like Frederick Douglass's, but uh, uh, a little bit more curly. Uh, and I don't consider that either good or bad. I just consider that a product of, 
uh, these 500 years of, uh, of uh, institutional racism and oppression of people of color in the United States. And I don't, I just like I don't reject my, uh, my great, great white grandmother, I don't reject my black heritage either. But um, what you said to me, what you said to the audience in the beginning about uh, my experience, about where I've been, what I've done, um, is all to, uh, I didn't realize it then and some of the points, but it's all to the glory of God. And it's all been by the grace of God. Uh, God doesn't make, my, my, my belief in humanity, my belief in the goodness of humanity and the goodness of each individual, the importance of community is predicated on the idea that uh, is based on the idea that God loves us, not in spite of, but because of. Uh, throughout my journey of ambition, being a black scientist, being one of the only in the room, graduating with a degree in biostructural molecular biochemistry, being published. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, Say Adam that again. <laughs> you, you, know, you know I grew up in the project, so structural. <laughs> what did you graduate in again? Structural and Molecular Biochemistry from North Carolina State University. Go Wolfpack. <laughs> but you saw what, so when I was there, you know, I was like any other kid. I, start, I, I started undergrad. I was 17. I was a bit younger than most people. I, you know, I started college a little bit early. I said, um, I want to, I'm an only child, by the way. I also said, you know, I want to be far from my parents, far enough that, uh, I don't have to worry about them popping up in case I want to find myself some, you know, explore what is out there in life. But then I also said, uh, I don't want to be too far in case I need to call them and say, hey, can y'all come help me? And uh, sure enough, that actually happened when I was 19. I had a motorcycle accident, bought one, didn't tell my parents I was buying it. I took the, the motorcycle safety foundation course. I mean, I did all the right things had it for about three months. And then I was getting ready to sell it because I felt so bad, so torn inside that I was keeping the secret from my parents. So I was showing the guy the bike and he said, well, can, can you drive, can you, can, you, can you ride it up and down the street for me so I can take, cause you never let anybody drive your, ride your bike. That's rule number one when you're trying to sell it. Uh -huh. Maybe I would have been better off if he rode it cause I flipped that bike and uh, have a scar to this day that reminds me of uh, foolishness, but also the beauty of, uh, of growing up and having um, a bit of a rebellious streak, but always remembering the principles that my parents instilled in me. So again, you know, I, I just mentioned that story. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry, James, friend. you know, it's interesting. Um, one of the things once me and Bill was um, going hunting and we had, um, SUVs, you know, and we're going up this mountain is it's kind of steep and Bill went ahead of me and Bill went and I was good. You know, I kind of knew what I was doing, I thought. And somehow Bill slowed up a little bit and I kind of slowed up right there behind him. And all of a sudden I saw my SUV started, not SUV, what is it called, Bill? Four-wheeler. ATV. See, see, I don't know the difference between an SUV and an ATV. That's, got that's right. You got the there you go. right. right. But my ATV started going backwards. And for the audience, just imagine slow motion, the good looking black guy, a little heavier than, and that's probably was the problem. It just started going slow motion, falling back on top of me. And all I could see all of a sudden is it, it, it's just, you know, it's just slow motion, right? And I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to fall backwards. And this big old machine is going to fall on me. 
I have no helmet. And I just see Bill kind of like jumping in the air, diving down to make sure I'm okay, right? So of course, God's grace and mercy, my head missed the rock that was right there, you know, right there. The ATV mm. fell, but it fell on me, but not on me, if that makes sense. Bill grabs mm -hmm. everything. And the bad thing about it, Artie, is I think it was a brand new one, right, Bill? It, it only had an hour on it. <laughs> one hour. Wow. And he rolls with the ATV. <laughs> oh, my God. That's like so, pulling so, out of the parking lot of a car dealership with a new car and getting in a wreck. So, remind so, me not to ride much. with you, Odell. <laughs> yeah, he didn't say much. Once he knew I was okay, he's like, okay, uh, you okay? And I think it was bent or something. He looked at it. He didn't say nothing. And we, nah, we, we bent it back. It was fine. Yeah. <laughs> and we went on up the hill. But audience, needless to say, that's the last time after I rode that back down, I think in a nice way, Bill, somehow Bill didn't give me the keys. You know, fun, fun, fun until daddy takes it. No, no, I'll there. tell you what we did. I got worried about you driving that thing by yourself. And uh -huh. so I sold it and okay. I, bought, I bought a two seater so you can sit next to me and I can keep an eye on you. There you go. There you go. <laughs> so, you know, it's interesting. Bill, Bill, what do you think about a black scientist, a black pastor? Um, I've preached at white churches, and this was a black pastor who was the assistant pastor, I think, of a large African, I mean, large white church. H how do you think, from your perspective, if you are sitting in the audience, and then we get James' perspective, as a white person sitting in the audience and you have a black pastor, how does that make you feel on Sunday? You know, because as you know, you know, Bill, Jesus was black, right? We still have an argument. Was Jesus black? Was Jesus white? Blase, blase. And I say I, that I think, just to wild I think, everybody out. I think he was light brown. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> but anyhow, the, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm curious to hear his journey from being a scientist, uh, to becoming a pastor. I mean, and, and then, you know, the color issue is on top of it. So there's gotta be some backstory to this. That's gotta be incredible to hear. So I'm, well, I'm anxious to hear. Well, there, there is, and thank you, Bill. There, there is a backstory, but I, I want to, I want to circle back this really quickly. Um, and, and that's just, Odell, when you were talking about the slow, mo slow motion of, uh, rolling backwards and then Bill, as you had mentioned that, I, th I think you said the bike, uh, or the ATV was what, uh, an hour old or yes. something like that. Yes. Brand new. Uh, that, that is how our life is, right? When we are in, when, when we are experiencing life in the present, we often don't know what's coming uh, in, uh, in the future. And we often times don't take time to reflect on what's happened in the past. Uh, I think that that's caused a lot of people to have a lot of fear. And we know that fear uh, from fear, we, we act with hatred. We act with um, anger. We act all sorts of ways that I believe that uh, we were not fashioned and created to act in, in those types of ways. But it's only with the experience of perspective and, and I'm talking about godly perspective because God says, look, I know the plans that I have for you. God knew, Odell. Okay, God didn't plan for you to hurt yourself or any of that, but God knew even in that instance that you were going to be protected and are protected because God's will for us is good. God's will for us is perfect, and there's nothing that can stop God's plan for us. Our problem is, these, is that we— James, we you're right, our, though. James, you're so right. However, though, one of the things that I was even more fearful of than God was, how can I go home and tell Beverly that I hit my head <laughs> on SU? I mean, I just couldn't explain that to her because she's always like, you know, B, 
be careful, be careful. You're not as young as you used to be. And I don't want to hear that because, you know, I think I'm still, you know, the fragile male ego makes all the difference in the world. So, you know, James, help me out on the piece, though. You were talking a little bit about my not wanting to take the powder or the makeup that they have in the studio because I need some help there because oh, I don't know if you see that see it but my head is shining like the moon. I, I saw it the other day, but it's it's a good shine. It's a luster. It's 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 not the it's not a it's not a greasy shine. It's a it's a good shine. Um, yeah, I, let me help you with that. But I don't think I answered I don't think I answered Bill's question. Let me let me answer Bill's question really quick. And and that was the backstory. If that's okay with y'all. Sure. Uh, and it, it'll take me one second. All right. So, so, so I started off and, you know, I went to NC state. I said, I need to go, uh, you know, I told you why I went to NC state. That's the, I was initially pre-law and then I said, this is not challenging enough. So I picked the, the most difficult sounding uh, degree or, or, or track as an undergraduate and, and began that. And then I did so well in some of my courses, my professor said, well, I went up to my professor. I said, I want to do research. I want, to, I want an internship. And he connected me with uh, this, this professor who was the, actually the head of the graduate department for the plant pathology. Um, and I, I learned directly from him. He taught me himself. And this is the grace of God. I just want to show you this. And then you'll kind of understand why I left science and, went, and had to start more speaking about how good God is to us. Uh, this man... Uh, a white man, a gracious man uh, who loved me and I love him and his family, taught me the very same skills that postdocs were doing. I'm talking about from like a, a, a method perspective in the laboratory, such that I was able to take on the research project that we were doing RNA interference, RNA, it's called it's RNA interference. We were looking at that in uh, uh, post, uh, I'm sorry, host pathogen interaction, oh, just boring stuff. But anyway, he showed me that, and I was able to hit the ground running and present it semester after semester in my research, and then ultimately uh, made a, a strain of, of Aspergillus flavus, which is a type of fungus that is used now in labs all across the world. It's a, I don't want to get too, I don't want to bore the audience with all the science behind it, but I bring that up because when we talk, when you're asking me that question about okay, makeup, how do we connect all these dots? Let me tell you what I used to do in the lab. When I was bored, when I was waiting on uh, something to happen, so if I was um, if I was inoculating a culture, but I needed to first warm up something, or if I was doing PCR, folks know what PCR now is because uh, because of COVID. But before COVID, no one knew about polymerase chain reaction. I mean, no no one no, no one knew about that. And so you have to wait a while, about three hours. So I get bored. I take my uh, I take a piece of newspaper or paper and I put it under a microscope. And I would zoom in 10 times, just on one letter. Then I'd zoom in 100. Then I'd zoom in 1,000. And the interesting thing is when you zoom in and you magnify that image so many times, what you see is nothing but one big blob. And if you zoom out, you'll see that there are other additional blobs, but you don't understand what those blobs mean. You just see, oh, this is a little piece of ink right here that, that, that bound to the paper. I can see that, but I can't make out what this letter is. And I definitely don't know what this sentence is when I'm looking under the microscope, right? And that's how I think life was for me at that age before I realized that God was calling me to pastoral ministry. I think that's why I was so focused on ambition 
And that's how I was so focused on not just ambition, but what do people and how do people perceive me as a black male who doesn't identify as as a, as a straight black male? I did, you know, I, I've been engaged to a woman. I've dated men before. I don't, I, I, I'm currently not dating anybody except for my little doggy Sophie that she and I are just good. And I think we'll, we will be just good for a while. I don't need any uh, headaches right now. Uh, uh, and, and no offense to anybody, but dating right now is, is a challenge in these times. How is dating a challenge, <laughs> a headache? Now, this is someone who's been married for 36 years and stuff like this. And to your point, you said, okay, Odell, I've dated, I've been engaged to a woman before, correct? Mm -hmm. I've mm -hmm. dated men before, in Costa correct? Rica, actually, yep. Mm -hmm. Okay. And yep. I've dated, now I'm dating Selfie the dog. Selfie, well, we're not dating. We're not dating. I don't want anyone to have, say, what kind of preacher is this? <laughs> no, I don't, I don't mean <laughs> go ahead, dating. Me go, go ahead, Odell. You're, you're, Listen, one thing I've learned, I'm not a pet person, but I've learned that pets are like family members to people. Bill is a, a dog person. And I think he was a cat person. I don't know. Um, but I've learned that pets are like family. So when I say dating, I say that kindly uh, from that perspective. How hard was it, though, as a Black male pastor of a white church and a Black church to be dating Dating's hard for pastors anyway. Single pastors have a hard time, whether you're male, female, uh, gay, straight, red, white, or blue. How hard was it? And do the church people get into the pastor's sexual life? Or that makes sense? Or oh my dating gosh, life? you know they do. <laughs> Odell, that is an excellent question. And let me, let, me, let me preface this by saying, listen, marriage is a beautiful thing, right? Uh, in the Protestant tradition, we have the mainline Protestant tradition, there's two sacraments. There's baptism and there's uh, uh, Eucharist or Holy Communion, right? Uh, and when we look at more traditional, um, so like when we talk, when I say more traditional, I mean um, like like Roman Catholic um, and uh, your various types of Orthodox branches, right? There are as many as maybe seven uh, sacraments. Marriage is one of those. Marriage is not a headache. I mean, it could be, I'm not, I've never been married, but I've seen marriage and, and my mother and my father know that marriage is a beautiful thing. But for me, as, as a pastor, uh, dating, it was a headache. Number one, because the person that I dated, I started, the first person I really dated before I was engaged to, to my fiance, my, my ex-fiance, the person I, I first dated, I met when we went uh, to the first round of questions for people who were considering going into ministry. So when in the denomination that I came from, you can't just say, I want to be a pastor. You have to take a psychiatric evaluation. You have to have your medical records submitted. You have to go through uh, about three months worth of, of discernment with other folks. And then you've got to go before committee after committee after committee. And it just so happened that at my very first day, at, uh, the, at the introduction for folks who said, I might think I hear God call me, but I don't know. Sitting behind me was the person that I dated uh, for three years. Um, that was probably my best relationship. But because of the ways in which people, because of the differences in the way in, teach, in which people do exegesis, and what I mean by exegesis is understand, like, like understand the meaning, 
we have too much eyes to Jesus. That is people reading into scripture instead of letting scripture speak for itself. And because okay. of the way in which we allow politics to, to, to influence it, I had, that was awful relation. We, we had to live a relationship in the closet. And I ultimately had to leave that because I could no longer be inauthentic to who I believe God created me to be. I think you're going to ask me something. Go ahead. Yes. Yes. Because see, you're a genius and um, I'm not. So I'm going to have to get you to dummy it down to people like me. So I'm thinking you said, Odell, I'm not Baptist. We're not Baptists who just wake up in the morning and say, God called me to pastor. And now we're a preacher. You said, nah, we had to go through a little bit more than that. So I'll take that as ouch, but it's okay. I know you didn't mean it that way. (laughs) But I understand I don't mean it, it that way, my friend. Yes. So, but the person who you are sitting behind doing this training, male or female, black or white, it doesn't matter. It doesn't, but yes, it does. So I'm just trying to get a picture for the audience because just trying to get a picture. Uh, white, white male, and and I and I'm, I'm I've got to um, because I know that this is this that, that this podcast is 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 growing tremendously and is popular. I want to make sure that I protect the identity of this person. So I, I won't give two, I, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm just gonna be as vague as possible because they're still in that same uh, denomination uh, and they're still, live, well, I, I'll just leave it there. Gotcha. White, it was a white guy. And we both, so, I mean, it was instant chemistry because because we both play piano. We both grew up the same way. But but go, I, 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 you, you know, when you see somebody and you click, it, it, it was like, it was, magical almost i mean i don't like to use that word but that's how you know people talk about romance that's that's what it was like but you know it's interesting though in the denomination that you were in and don't call it denomination was it acceptable for you to be in love with another man in your denomination no as a matter of fact i was one we had um we and again i i don't want to disparage this denomination either so i'm not going to be specific but I will say that uh, most denominations have some sort of convention where they get together at regular intervals, right? So imagine something like that, and and that where you're talking about the theology and the dogma of the church, right? And time and time again, we'll come up with this issue of can gay people serve in the church? Can gay people be married in the church? And time and time again, the answer was no. There was a, it looked like there was going to be movement that there could, the answer could change. Uh, people were talking about, oh, I would, st- that they would stand up in support of upholding the dignity of all people, right? Because, because you look, look, if we put a, a sign, if we think, regardless of what we think is a sin, okay, so if we think homosexuality is a sin, I don't believe it's a sin at all. But for those who think that homosexuality is a sin, I wonder if they're also thinking about all the other sins that they are that there are i wonder if they're wearing if they look at their clothes if they're wearing a a shirt that's made of two different types of fabric because that is actually a sin if you go and read leviticus so so, but without without starting to preach too much on that i was the only one black that i saw only black man to stand up now there were there are plenty of white folks standing up and i thank god for them to stand up and say no i i vote in favor of this um, and I've constantly taken that position by the grace of Wait, God. wait a minute, though. But even, you, you are a hot shot. You are a hot shot genius in the science world. You are a hot shot I'm not a genius. genius. <laughs> okay, well, you are a hot shot. What do you say, Bill, on young people who everyone sees them and they promote them because they know that this person is a 
as a is it called savant or savant's not the right word you know they didn't teach us so many words in south carolina but let's just say you are very very young gifted and black and whatever organizations you've always been a part of those organizations always promoted you and you know you did well and you're like okay i know i'm young gifted black and i'm doing well but i'm young gifted black and have a tendency uh to like other men and that's where the the doing well didn't go well with this organization, correct? Or am I? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I think I think I, I just want to add a little bit of nuance to that and say that I think that yes, you know, and everything that I've done, people have always been pushing me to the front, whether or not it's piano, uh, cello competition. I was always first chair cellist when we talk about like count all state, all county, that kind of stuff. And when it came to this, uh, it came to being a pastor, I even got my first appointment. My own people, like black people, people who look like me were upset saying, how in the world did this guy get this appointment when we've been doing this for such and such amount of time? And so, yeah, I, but all of that meant nothing about if I did not uphold the fact that the central belief of what I call divine belovedness, that I'm created in the image of God, that what God said, when we see the first time we see the Holy Trinity in the Bible, it was in Jesus's baptism, okay, and and which God there was a voice from heaven that was God the Father, that was, and the God the Son was being baptized by John the Baptist, and then this Holy Spirit descended as a dove upon Jesus, and God said, "This is my beloved, with whom I am well pleased." My favorite theologian, Henri Nouwen, has a book called Life of the Beloved, and if you read that, that is a life changing book when we understand that we are beloved regardless of condition regardless of what anybody else says. So it's not, it wasn't about, oh no, uh, okay, I, 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 I'm bisexual or gay. I don't consider myself any of that. I consider myself, I, I like you if I like you, if you like me and if we like each other, let's date, but I'm not trying to date again because I'm focusing on stuff. But the point is, Odell, and though, if anybody or anything causes me or asks me in any way, whether implicit or explicit, whether directly or indirectly, to deny any part of me, that is good. What's wrong with sharing love with someone, with appreciating someone? If someone so so it, it, it could be a whole host of issues. I can't get with that. I can't, I can't, I'm not, I'm not willing to sacrifice having one of the best uh, Episcopal appointments. And that's not the denomination. When I say Episcopal, I mean that you're sent by the bishop. That's what Episcopal means. Uh, right. Is that is that uh, uh, we we're sent by a bishop, right? So I I'm not willing to to reject any part of me because why the God that I serve did not reject any part of anyone that he called when he called Levi son of Alphaeus who was the tax collector sitting at the gate he knew exactly who Levi was he knew exactly what Levi was doing and I love Mark's gospel when we read this because it says he he went up there and said come follow me and then the very next thing we see. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna switch I'm gonna code switch so that folks know that I I'm a normal person. Jesus was sitting up in the house chilling, laid back, reclining at table with Levi. The Bible doesn't say anything about Levi had to to, to renounce, stand up in front of the whole church. You know how back in the past I never saw this. My father told me he used to see this. And Odell, you're you're fairly young, but you may have seen it yourself too, Bill. You may have seen it. A girl gets pregnant, they have to go stand up in front of the church and, and confess in front of the whole church what they've done. 
right? Uh, uh, or, or, or somebody's found out to be gay, and now they, they can't have any roles. All these types of things. I'm like, my God, are, have people forgotten what Jesus did? Jesus, there's no story of Levi saying, I renounce and repudiate the fact that I used to be a tax collector. Instead, what we see is Jesus, and we see, uh, by, by the grace of God, we see that Levi, whose name is Matthew, wrote the gospel, wrote one of the gospels, and became one of the apostles, and, and one of the uh, runners for God. And well, James, that's what I realized I had to do. Not, well, James, not myself, help me on be this. a runner for God. Go ahead. Is the, Go ahead. the majority of the prejudice, bias, stereotypes, or misunderstandings, did you find it more obstacles in the black church or the white church? People say, ah, there's no such thing as a black church, Odell, no such thing as a white church. Oh, yes, sir. It's a difference. It's a difference. And maybe instead of saying the white church or the black church, how about the white culture of religion and the black culture religion? What, where was your biggest, because a lot of people have what I call church hurt, how church can just mm -hmm. literally hurt you, if not kill you. Mm -hmm. So what was your journey like? Well, I'll tell you, my first appointment was, uh, was uh, my first Episcopal appointment was, was serving a, a predominantly white church, about 1600 members. I loved it there. I loved it there. I absolutely loved it. I was there four years, four or five years. And that's a rarity in the denomination I come from because, I mean, pastors, associate pastors, they get switched, moved around almost every two years, right? They, you can't be around me enough. Like, you can't be around me more than 10 minutes to know that, okay, uh, this guy uh, is unique. Okay, this guy might be smart. And this guy also might be gay. <laughs> you know, even when I was I didn't kid, think that. I didn't think that when I first <laughs> met you. Not that it mattered to me, but I didn't think that when I first met you, like this guy might be gay. I knew this guy was smart. I knew you were opinionated, but I'm smart. I'm opinionated. But I, I don't smart, know. Yeah. Maybe because um, I've been around gay people most of my life, but and huh. it's not really an issue for me. I don't know. May, may, I don't know. I don't know. But go ahead. Well, I'm sorry. Well, you know, that, that, you know that, and, and I'm glad you brought that up because I, I got I need to clarify that what I said a little bit more because stereotypically, you know, we talk about okay, what, what does stereotypically, what does that mean? But we can't even talk about stereotypically, even when we talk about black identity anymore, right? Because we are beginning to enter into this higher level of consciousness, recognizing that there's so many different varieties of. Uh, what it means to live uh, as a self-identified Black person. There's so many varieties of what it means to identify as someone who, is, who identifies as queer or binary or, or who, someone who uh, identifies as transgender. But what I mean by you can't be around me that long without knowing that is because uh, people have, if we went on the stereotypes, the insidious stereotypes, I must say, that have been very oppressive and repressive, um, if we went on stereotypes about, okay, well, this person talks this way, um, they might be gay. Now, and the other thing I, I, I want to I mention why that's important, particularly when we talk about black men and sexual, sexual identity, and we haven't even start, started talking about gender identity yet, but if you look in academia, if you look in, um, if you look in uh, those who have made it to very high levels of success in the industry even, in order to not be the, uh, how can I say it? Black men are less 
challenging to the white psyche. And this is based not now people are going to say, oh, my gosh, what is, is this man talking about? When we start talking about systems of oppression, we're talking about 500 years. There's a collective psyche in the United States and there are different collective psyches among different uh, 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 stratifications or, 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 or identification groups. When we black men generally have always been especially in the 40s and then in the 50s and the 30s, even when we think about what happened in Wilmington and, the, and that, and that, that uh, we think about all these massacres that were not too long ago. When we think about all the violence against Black men, not too long ago, it was out of this fear of Black male sexuality and Black male strength, and also the idea that Blacks were criminals. That's why Donald Trump was able to resonate with so many people. He, he, he's, he remembered the playbook from Ronald Reagan on uh, being tough on crime. Okay, the same president, Ronald Reagan, who turned a blind eye and never even announced the pandemic while so many thousands of gay men were dying. And instead they were ostracized and put aside. Why did I bring that up? I say that because you don't make it to certain levels unless you are palatable in some ways, to white sensibility in these United States of America, particularly in the South. So that means you either have to be able to code switch, like what I can do, where I can talk like, this is actually how I normally talk. I am actually code switching when I talk like, 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 like North Carolina Southern Black, okay, English. That is code switching for me. I, I'm code switching to something that's not my normal. And because that was not my normal, because I was always taught, my dad always told me to make sure subject, verb, agreement, all that stuff's important. My, my mother, my father taught me those things. So cousins always would say, whose who, who, who parents did not teach them that. Oh, he thinks he's proper. And that he thinks he's proper, he thinks he's fancy, became, oh, he, he must be gay. And so we see the same thing in academia. And I don't mean that these people who are making it to these levels of success in academia and industry are gay. What I'm saying is they've had to realize that in order to be palatable to the white sensibility, that they have to talk a certain way, they have to dress a certain way, they have to look a certain way, to not remind the psyche, the other psyche, of uh, this narrative of criminality, this narrative of hypersexuality. I mean, King Kong, the movie, what is that except for a metaphor about black men and their sexuality and the danger to white women? And it doesn't, it doesn't okay. make it any different. That's I a never, lot. I'm I, sorry. No, no, no. I never, I, I never saw King Kong again as that. However, I'm going to lean to my white friend, uh, white residents here, Mr. Bill Goval, because Bill is like, what have I got myself into here today? No. Bill, what say <laughs> you, my friend? Well, I was waiting for somebody to take a breath <laughs> so I could say something. <laughs> uh, have you ever read the book, God Believes in Love by Jean Ro Bishop Gene Robinson? Uh, no, but I have read other of uh, 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 Robinson's books, yes. It's, it's straight talk about gay marriage. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, he, 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 the whole concept of the book is God is about love. And if mm -hmm. a man and woman love each other, that's good. If two men love each other, that's good. Two women mm -hmm. love each other, that's good. That's his premise. God's about love. Mm -hmm. Th there's something to be said about that. You know, I, I don't believe that yes. Jesus came down here and spread hate at all. Right. If anything, it was the exact opposite. So when I hear people say a man, it's a it, it, quote from the Bible, man should not lay with a man. I'm like, okay, 
I need some more context to understand that. And, you know, some people say, well, that's the verse that says people can't be gay. Other people say, well, in in his book, he talks about that, you know, back when that that was said, it was warriors, what they would do to people they conquered and the things they would do to other men. I don't know what's the right way, uh, but I do Mm. know I recognize love when I see it. Uh, Amen. Amen. Love between uh, buddies like Odell and I. Uh, mm-hmm. could be love between my wife, which is a different type of love. I mean, mm-hmm. I love I love Odell's wife Bev, but not the same way I love mine. I love her because right. she's a great friend, and uh, and she cares about me. So when you start mixing up the sexuality, uh, mm-hmm. it gets everybody jazzed up. It's kind of like sexuality, mm-hmm. the church politics and who has the best barbecue in the South. You start mixing that kind of stuff up and it gets a little crazy. People get crazy. And, uh, and, and, and they find a very, very convenient Avenue to hate or have a reason to dislike. And, uh, and I, I challenge people. If, if you, if you've got a dislike for a person that's of color or has a different sexual desires than you, Odell always says it's hard to hate up front. Get to know them. Go out to lunch with mm-hmm. them. Spend some time with them. Find out where they're coming from. Uh, you can still share your viewpoint. Okay, uh, nothing wrong with that. Uh, but condemning somebody—I don't know if that's my place in this. God didn't put me on this uh, planet to condemn people. Uh, what he, I think he put me on this planet to interact with people, to grow with people and to show love for people. And uh, when I start hearing all the, all the drama that goes along with being a black pastor that's bisexual, uh, that's a mouthful, no pun intended. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the, uh, <laughs> but you know, it's kind of crazy. It's kind of crazy yeah. in, in that um, where, do, where do we draw the line? You know, where do we draw? Is there a line to even be drawn? Is, is it our roles to accept people where they're at? That's a, first of all, I, as I may, I just want to, I just want to affirm you uh, and Odell also, but I want to affirm what you're saying uh, because, uh, and I also want to affirm that que- that that question that you, that you said about whose role is it? And it's, it's none of us, it's none of our roles. Right. Right. And the reason why, that's my belief. And the reason why is because we are all equal we are all participating in the human condition. So I don't have a a superhuman power that allows me to know definitively beyond a shadow of a doubt to the point where I'm wanting to riot or protest or do whatever that I should do. uh, I should protest for this or protest for that or riot for this or riot for that. No, what I do have though is uh, three things, faith, hope, and charity. What's charity? Love right? Charity is love. And so if we operate from that position, which is how you have always operated, uh, and I, and which I can feel even from this conversation, and I say how you've always operated, because Odell, you know, speaks very highly of you. When we operate from that position of love, we also operate from a position of humility. And that humility means that we are all in this, that my, that we are interconnected. We don't have time for resentment. Henri Nouwen, my favorite theologian, says resentment 
and gratitude cannot exist in the same heart. And when I heard you speak about uh, Ms. Bev, who is one of the sweetest people I know, um, talking about Odell, talking about even love of friendship, that's expressing gratitude. And I think that's one of the starting points for building bridges, is being able to express gratitude. Because as Odell says, you can't hate on me. It's hard to hate up close. It's one of the things he always says, like you, like you mentioned, when we begin to start expressing gratitude, we stop making room and stop making time to hate because this person looks like this or because this person does this. And we begin to be thankful and we say, Lord, look what you've done in this person's life. And even if we're non-religious, we, 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 we are still, th- you can be, you don't have to be Christian to be thankful. <laughs> you don't have to be Christian to have gratitude. Uh, so, so, so the point is, yes, Bill, uh, I affirm 100% what you're saying. And we're on the same page. When we talk about, um, and I know Odell wants to jump in, but I, I real quick, when we talk about, I can't see you, Odell, but I can sense you, my friend. When we, yeah. uh, when we talk about, about this, about the white sensibility, but when I talk about that, somebody might say, oh my gosh, just here's somebody preaching. Now the buzzword, okay, well, the, 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 the word that everyone rallies against is critical race theory. We're not going to even go there unless y'all want to. I don't, uh, that wasn't my plan, but, but. Whenever we start talking about um, what is it actually like, the experience of being a Black person or a person of color, the experience of being historically the one without power. That's the point. White people historically have had power over the past 500 years in the United States. Historically. Now, there, now, you, now when you, if, you're comparing, if you're comparing within that stratification group, that category, that and I, the reason why I use stratification categories and IDs and all that stuff, because when I look at census data, you know, that's kind of stuff I, I'm curious about. That's related to my nonprofit. I'll tell you about that later if we have time. But anyway, when we start looking, though, uh, for example, even in, the, even in North Carolina, the last time I checked health outcome data, the poorest, the, the, when we look at the poverty line, the poorest white woman giving birth statistically has better health outcomes than a black woman with a PhD in North Carolina, statistically speaking. Now that's a problem. So, 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 and people are, so folks might say, well, that doesn't mean I'm racist. Well, no, I don't have to be racist to participate in systemic and institutional racism. It is, we are living in a system with institutions that have uh, de facto uh, uh, racism in it. Uh, so that's why I call out to this, this this idea of violence that black bodies represent. That this, that that's the idea that justified uh, the sh- the shooting of unarmed men. Uh, they were in the wrong space, in the wrong place, at the wrong time, places where they weren't supposed to be. For example, the only reason why there is you won't believe Bill and Odell how many times uh, white. Um, and, and a couple of black, but most, they were mostly white nurses would look at me if I did not have on my, cl- my clerical collar, if I didn't have on my, my black shirt and my clerical collar and black pants. And I have, even though I have a credential and it says Reverend James Burroughs on it, and regardless of what hospital system I went to, I said, are you sure you're here to see this patient? And the patient was white. That, if Wait I a minute. experience that. Hold on a minute there. So you're saying when you were the black pastor at the white church, part of your responsibilities 
was going around doing hospital visits and well care visits to your congregants. And you knew that, that and spiritual formation. To, yep. Got it. So, you know, if you went to the local hospital, you had to wear your full regalia, the whole idea of the collar, the clergy, everything, name tag, everything. And a lot of nurses, I'm assuming, or whoever was there, the administrator would say, are you sure you're supposed to be going in there seeing this white patient with your black behind? Oh, my God, Odell, I can't tell you how many times, and not just the hospital, someone was having an outpatient procedure. Uh, and, 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 and that's the other thing that I realize is so insidious about power, because for a while, I was able to pass and have power because I had a cler clerical collar. I'm wearing a clerical collar that allowed you to first see me. Uh, yeah, you see I'm black, but then you also see that I have a clerical collar on. You see that I've got this big cross on, not any bling bling cross. I'm talking about uh, your liturgical cross that I'm wearing that. Don't, I'm not wearing a stole or anything like that at that point, but this, that's my only validator uh, to be in that place and to be in that space. So Odell, and Bill, imagine how many young Black men and young Black women and those who don't identify as man or woman. So, the, so, so we're talking about non-binary folks of color. And when I say Black, I'm also including Black and Brown and Indigenous people. Um, imagine their experiences as well. But imagine not having the ability to put on a uniform. Imagine mm. the, the ability, not having the, the opportunity. You know, police officers, the black police officers are able to put on a uniform and then have respect and be seen as a police officer first and not necessarily first as a black male, if they identify, or black female, if that's how they identify. My grandfather was able to put on army uniform and go fight. And, but when he came home, no respect for him. Why? Because he didn't have, what, what was he gonna wear his uniform for then? He was just another black man. Just, and, and that, that in and of itself, it's hurtful to even think about that. That's how we are seen as just another black woman, just another brown girl, just another transgender person, just another gay person. But when we get up close and are vulnerable enough to know who that person is, when we have conversation, like Bill said, and like you do, Odell, and, and as, as we build bridges, then we see this person is not as one-dimensional as I thought just because of this. Well, James, I got a question. Can you explain to me, and it's, this is more of me uh, not questioning you like you're on the witness stand, but for better understanding. I don't understand mm -hmm. how someone that's a male identifies as a male and someone's a female, but then they go, well, I'm neither. Uh, how does that work? So, so, so I will tell you that um, I am not an expert on uh, gender identity. That not, so, we, so we're talking now about gender identity, right? Mm -hmm. um, I'm not an expert there. So I want to preface that, first of all. And I, but I also want to say that um, it's not that someone wakes up. Uh, this is in general from those who I have been around, people who I've had time to be around and learn from and grow from, as well as from the literature that I've read. And I'm talking about peer-reviewed scientific literature. It's not something that people do capriciously, or what I mean by capricious, like they don't just wake up one day and say, you know what, uh, I'm going to change my identity. No, it is connected viscerally to the sense of who this person is, and not just the sense, but the reality of who this person is. 
biologically, okay, so, so, so sexuality and gender identity are products of two different things. If, if we if we abstract out to the highest thing, to the to the, when I say highest ontology, I mean if we look at two branches, there's what we call exogenous factors and endogenous. Exo means outside factors, endo means in, endogenous factors. We know that genetics, uh, uh, what happens in the womb, so we call that fetal uh, programming and maternal uh, so fetal programming and that happens at the maternal fetal in, uh, interface. You know, a lot of these things um, that affect hormone levels, affect so many different things, uh, even affect personnel, affect hippocampus volume, right? Even your zip code, if you grew up in a poor zip code, that affects that. If we look at the, the hippocampal volume and we've measured that in a longitudinal study, we can show the effect of, of poverty on hippocampal volume in the brain. I, that's, that's exogenous and endogenous outside and inside forces coming together all right so we've got biology genetics epigenetics that means it's above the genome right all of these different things influence and make us who we are it would be wrong of a scientist to say uh definitively well this person is gay because uh, uh, we ran a test to see if this particular gene was methylated or not methylation is important with epigenetics or we look to see if they had this particular allele this particular this particular or they were expressing even this particular gene and because they are now this person's gay right, that's wrong right and it's equally as wrong to say oh this person must not have a, a father in his life or this person must not have a, a a good role model in their life so it's a combination it's it's not a combination of bad things. It's a combination of good things. It's a combination of just how life is, that people are, are, are on a spectrum. And I know that, that you uh, both identify as uh, heterosexual men, but I'm going to tell you, then this is probably, I'm probably not the first person to tell you, that a very few, a very small fraction of the population exists at one of the poles, at either of the poles. Most people are on a scale, somewhere on a scale, when we're talking about sexual identity. When we're talking about gender identity, I don't know as much about the distribution of how people identify like the, uh, when it comes to, uh, to, to, to gender identity, but I will say that I'm thankful that it's no longer considered a mental illness. Unfortunately, in the United States and in many places in the world, uh, being uh, gay was considered a mental illness, uh, being uh, transgender, uh, was uh, which is called gender dysphoria uh, was treated as, uh, as 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 a sort of mental illness as opposed to people having access to what now we're talking about uh, politically, which is relevant, and that's called gender affirming care. But it is it is it is different for each individual, and I would be doing the the LGBTQIA plus community a disservice. I would be doing all of humanity a disservice to, 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 to paint with one broad brushstroke um, why and how someone recognizes what their, their identity is and how that differs from their so-called biological identity. Yeah. Now there's, there, I agree. Uh, you know, let me just jump in here, pastor. The, you know, I, I, yeah. I met um, someone that uh, was bisexual and she, she, told me that when she was 14, she realized it and uh, she acted mm. out on it. I think when she was 15 or 16 and her parents caught her uh, mm. and uh, they, they just said, it's a phase you'll grow out of it. 
uh, and they grounded her for two years. Um, oh my God. I've talked to uh, Bob Page, uh, who's uh, gay and a big advocate of gay community. And, uh, you know, he, he talks about the suicide rate of people that go through both their sexual orientation and, and now I think gender as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the suicide rate is extremely high uh, because uh, I, I hear story after story. A good friend of mine's gay. He's dating a young man and he, this young man came from the South and some of the mm-hmm. beliefs in the South and family kicked him out when they found out he was gay. He was homeless as a young man. Oh my God. So, oh. you know, you, you hear those kind of oh. stories and you go, okay, where's the love in all this? Where's the caring? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's interesting. My brother came out probably six or seven years ago. Uh, and, uh, and my daughter uh, came out as well. Um, and, oh, wow. uh, and my question to her was, are you happy? And she says, mm-hmm. I'm very happy. And I said, then I'm happy for you. So, you know, I think, I think we've praise got, God. I had to say praise God on that. That, that is amazing. Oh, thank please, you. Please continue. Thank you. And you know, the uh, I have two daughters, so I'll let the audience figure out which one is which. Uh, the uh, you can't tell the difference, quite frankly. Uh, but the uh, I, I've had many Christian friends that were pretty self righteous and uh, condemned gay people, and then their son or daughter becomes gay or is gay mm-hmm. and comes out, and it's interesting to watch their handling of the situation okay mm-hmm. because they were they were over here on whatever side of the fence and now they've got to decide do they still love their their child uh same thing happened with uh people who are self-righteous and their daughter gets uh, pregnant out of wedlock multiple times in mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you know so when you know i think god has a way of uh when we put our feet down and say, no, I don't like that. Like at one point I didn't like homeless people. I didn't understand mm. them. I didn't want to be around them. Uh, I thought they smelled and they were dirty. Uh, and they intimidated me and Lord put me into a ministry for homeless men. And I was like, okay, God. And that's when he started teaching me that when don't put your feet so solid on the ground that you can't have God. Amen. move you. And and, wow. and and when he opens that, say door, that again. Say that again for our listeners, for you, for, for the listeners of this side. That is powerful. What you just said. Don't put your feet. Don't put your feet, your feet so solid on the ground that you can't let mm. God move you. Wow, wow, wow. That is a no. Listen, we we've got to. I, I I'm not trying to segue away from this conversation, but I I'm just throwing this in here that we've got to talk some more because my friend, you literally are bringing tears to my eyes. Oh well, listen, uh, and the I, way in which you allow. Go ahead. I'm sorry, I didn't. Mean I'm enjoying it. I'm I'm enjoying this conversation. I know our guests are. You know, we're coming up against our one hour, so we're gonna we're gonna have to cut it, and we'll bring you back on. I think uh, there's there's a lot more to this. Um, and I've already got some people texting me that when is the show going to be on? I want to hear it. Um, so, uh, yeah, some people from Las Vegas. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Uh-huh. But, uh, um, you know, we always ask our guest, uh, where do they find common ground? And before I'll give you a chance to think about that. And I'm going to give Odell an opportunity to ask a question if he has one. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking about everything. And James uh, has a project he's going to talk about a little bit. but 
I thought about something James said. He says, um, you and I both, Bill, identify as uh, um, straight males, correct? And so yep. I'm sitting here, James. Yes, I'll agree to that. Okay, good. So, so and I started, to, I started to make a joke, and I'm like, no, it's not a time to make a joke. But I was sitting here saying, okay, a lot of times me and Bill will end our conversation, hey, love you, buddy. He's like, I love you, Odell. Um, you know, and, and, and I don't even think about it, James, that how would people perceive um, the good look? And I say the good looking black guy and all this kind of, you know, stuff like that. But I really don't care. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. as soon as you say that you care, but you really don't care because I'm so used to people scrutinizing and evaluating Odell's decisions like, OK, here's a Democrat, but he support Republicans. Here's a black guy, but he hang out with white guys. Here's a, um, a black guy and he's hanging out with James, who who's not um, straight it, It's but I refuse to allow people to put me in a certain box that who can I talk to? Who can I be friends with? Who can I associate with? Because I think that's horrible. I really think that's horrible. Yeah. I have my own bias, my own prejudices, my own stereotypes. So James, let me ask a question. As a gay guy, um, mm-hmm. why do you hang out with this straight black guy, Odell? Have I ever consciously or subconsciously made you feel bad or said something? Because a lot of times words are just words. So let me just get your feedback mm-hmm. on evaluating me. Yeah, well, well, I, I wanna, uh, that's an excellent question. Well, let me say this first. Uh, what you shared just now with us uh, here and with the audience we'll hear later and is, uh, is really profound. When I say that, no, when, we t- when we're talking about um, the distribution of, uh, about, uh, uh, sexual identity and how people self-identify. Okay, so uh, we have to take a couple of things in, into into consideration, and then and then, I, and then I'll, I'll, I'll answer very directly your question. And the first thing about that is is that there are two, at least two dimensions of identity. And we talked about this at lunch one day, you and I. There's how do people perceive me identity? So that's the external perception. And there's the perception of how I think people are perceiving me. And then there's how I actually perceive myself. And then there's somewhere in this milieu, in this whole soup of perception and identity and self-identity, self-professed or self-proclaimed identity, realization of the identity or fulfillment of that. There are then these structural, what am I looking? What, what am I looking for? It's um, constructs. These, these constructs that um, make it such that you know, you for you to say, you know, Bill said it first in this in, the, in our in our call today, and then you said it. The love that you two share as friends, our society has a construct that makes it seem that two heterosexual males cannot say to each other, "I love you." That's a and that's based in you know machismo culture. Uh, that we have uh, that's not just, it, you know, people often say, oh, machismo culture is for this particular group or this particular group. No, we have this, we, it's always been a part of our psyche, this American psyche, that you've got to be strong, particularly when we talk about communities of color. You got to be strong. You got to stand up. You got to be a man. You can't show this. You can't show vulnerability. And uh, I think that's why I hang out with you, actually. So I, so I think that's the answer to the question. I, Odell, I hang out with you because you, you resist those constructs 
and instead cling to first your faith. And by the grace of God, because you're able to cling to your faith, you're able to see a, the, uh, the other, another person as exactly that, another person beloved by God. And never uh, in our almost three years of knowing each other, have you ever, have you ever offended me? Never, ever, ever, ever. Um, and it's hard to say that about people um, and be honest about it. It's really hard. I, I've been offended by there's somebody, there's some folks who are listening might say, well, you don't know them well enough to have not been offended. No, uh, let me tell you this. I have an aunt. Her name is Brenda. She goes to your church. She's a good woman. I've never heard her say a bad thing about anyone. I've never even heard her say a curse word. So you can be around people who are exceptionally good in character, who, are, who excel exceptionally in virtue. And that's a gift of grace. And you're one of those people, Odell. So why do I hang around you? I got to ask you, why you hang around me? Because I'm still, I'm, I'm still a work in progress. And for some reason, God allowed us to meet. And you recognize something in me that is good. And, and I recognize something in you that's good. And Bill, we all recognize something in Bill that's good. And I think what we're recognizing in each other is people will say we're recognizing God. Yeah, we're recognizing God, but we're also recognizing our humanity. If we, if we only talk about recognizing God in people, then we are not talking about who Jesus truly and fully was. We're putting him in a construct. Jesus was fully God and fully man. He came to earth, born of a virgin, such that we could have life and have it abundantly. When we look at each other and only say, well, oh, well I like you because I see God in you, as opposed to saying, I see the humanity of you, all of your uniqueness, and how God is working within you. And I thank God for that. That You're able to do that. We are, Bill's able to do that. And we're all on the journey to do that. But that's why, Odell, we're friends. That's why, Bill, you and I are fast friends now. <laughs> Odell, well, look out. Uh, I might be meeting him more for Epinera. <laughs> it's okay with me. I just, <laughs> but uh, this has been a joy. And uh, I, I just want to clarify one last thing also. When I talk about race, listen, I, I, Race, for me, it's important to talk about it because we need to heal. Our country has to heal. And we can't heal until, uh, one, Black people recognize that there is this perpetual trauma that's been passed down generation after generation, genetically, uh, epigenetically, exogenously, through systemic and institutional uh, racism. And that we, it's all about power, right? Those who have power, versus those who do not have power. Mm-hmm. And in our course of history in the United States for the past 500 years, we see power and race go together. And so that's why it's so important to talk about that because Jesus was constantly reaching out to those on the margins, those without power. People criticize Jesus when, when, when Mary Magdalene whom we uh, if you follow certain liturgical calendars, her feast day was a few days ago. There were, and Jesus was sitting at uh, a, 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 a Pharisee's house and the Pharisee's name was Simon. And Simon said to himself, not to Jesus, if he only knew what type of woman this was who was crying at his feet and washing his feet with her hair, with her, with, with her hair he, would, uh, he, he, he would be a prophet. Uh, he's obviously not a prophet because he doesn't know this. 
And Jesus says to Simon, Simon, I have one thing to say. I have something to ask you. And he asked Simon, he said, he gives a, a scenario, which two people owe uh, two different levels of debt. Imagine, like, let's just put it in this term, like somebody owed a thousand dollars, somebody else owed a dollar. Who do you say? And uh, but the person that they owed it to, same person, but they and he forgave both of them. He or she forgave both, right? Who do you think will love that person who forgave them more? And Simon the Pharisee said, the one who was forgiven more. And so Jesus says, similarly, the one who has been forgiven of much more loves much more. And it says that to, 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 to that woman, to Mary Magdalene, that her sins were forgiven. I bring that up because that's the essence of what we need for healing. When we talk about sin and healing and society, love is secure for that. So I'm not, I'm not here to be a pastor and talk only about Jesus. Because, and when I say only about Jesus, let me be clear. I'm here to talk about love because God is love. If, there's, if there are Muslim people who are listening to this, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. To my Hispanic uh, uh, brothers who are Catholic, que Dios te bendiga. To, to all of, to Jews who are listening, salam, peace be with you. May God continue in all of our lives to bless us such that we can live out love to its fullest and see both our humanity and our divinity. Amen. That's well said. Well said. I think that's a good note to close on. Thank you. For Thank you, my friend. Show. Thank you. Thank you. Find Bill and Odell online at thecommonground.show. This podcast is a production of BG Ad Group. Darren Sutherland, Executive Producer. Jeremy Powell, Creative Director. Jacob Sutherland, Director. All rights reserved. Whether you're a big, medium, or small business, managing and growing the bottom line is important. Focus CFO brings the experience and financial acumen of a Fortune 100 Chief Financial Officer to your company at a fraction of the cost. PL help, internal reporting processes, or any business transitions or events. Focus CFO will help you and your team have a CFO in your company's back pocket. Focus CFO. Learn more at focuscfo.com. This podcast is brought to you by Yes Weekly, the triad's largest circulated and best read weekly magazine. You can also find us online at yesweekly.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Yes Weekly, your trusted news leader for local arts, entertainment, music, food, and more for nearly 18 years.